I always hear people say, oh, the promo industry, it's all about relationships, it's about people. Then why can't we just look at each other that way and humanize the business and see each other as being human beings, regardless of the color of your skin or your gender or your sexual preference or your religion or your creed? I don't think you can legislate peace 100% or understanding or to erase ignorance. It really starts with the individual. As far as being an Asian woman, having family, both children and older parents, we're very concerned given the uptick in hate crimes to our minorities in general. It's really important that the community at large is standing up to see us and check in on us and help raise voices against this. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. Our topic this week is a hard one. We've been having discussions surrounding diversity for months now, and we hope that you've learned a lot. This podcast is going to cover anti-Asian racism that is on the rise in the U.S. and Canada. When we started prepping this podcast, it was in reaction to the growth of reported hate crimes and attacks on vulnerable members of Asian communities. This past week, a shooter killed several Asian women in Atlanta. While more information is coming out about that attack, it makes having this conversation especially with four Asian women, be all the more urgent and important. I hope you all take the time to listen, learn, and gain tools from this conversation to help your communities and do better in the world. So we're going to start with, have everyone introduce themselves so that we know your voice. Can you tell me who you are and some background on yourself? So we'll start with Cindy. Thanks, Kate. First, I would like to acknowledge that I'm on the traditional land of the First People of Seattle, the Duwamish past and present, and honor the Duwamish, Stiligwamish, and Coast Salish tribes. I'm an account executive at Image Source in Kirkland, Washington. I was born and raised in San Diego. I'm two and a half generation Japanese American, which means on my mother's side, I'm second generation as she immigrated in her early 20s to San Diego. And my father was born in California to my grandparents who arrived in the early 1900s. My father was interned in the post-Arizona camp during the war, and our family suffered the consequences of verbal and physical abuse due to his trauma. I was taught to be American, work harder, be smarter than my white friends to succeed in this world. I graduated from San Diego State and moved to Japan. It took the Kobe earthquake to force me to evacuate, and I wonder if I would have stayed in Japan had that not happened. I've lived in the Pacific Northwest for 25 years now and love that Seattle is a sister city to Kobe. After five years, I still consider myself to be a newbie in this industry, but the pandemic and civil unrest brought a new focus to self-reflect, find my inner voice, and hope to see the industry evolve to be better. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. Kathy, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks for having me join this conversation. It's quite important. So my name is Kathy Chang. I'm the president of Redwood Classics Apparel. We're a family-owned and operated business, and we are a full-service apparel manufacturer that's proudly producing everything on Canadian soil. I restructured with my dad in 2009, and with that, that's where I founded Redwood Classics Apparel, which provides in-stock apparel for promotional and retail resellers. My dad and our business partners, and we're your typical immigrant family. We came to North America with nothing, and I was a latchkey kid at the age of five. 
I was in ESL until grade six. And as an only child, I was told that's part of the reason why I was ESL, because I had no one to practice English with. We came from very, very humble beginnings where they couldn't even afford to pay for day camp or babysitting. So I grew up literally in factories in which my parents worked at. In 1988, my dad and his brother and sister decided to pull their funds together and start a small sewing contracting company called Wings and Garments. And from there, with five people and 10 machines, when it came to the late 90s, the family business had expanded where we were directly employing close to 500 people. And this was all done in North America. Long and short of it, WTO happens. China joins WTO. Quotas get lifted and everyone goes offshore. And come 2008, the financial recession, global financial recession, became really challenging for our family business to sustain the size that we had grown. So in 2009, my dad and I became business partners, and that was the beginning of Redwood Classics, where him and I restructured the business with 40 people. And present day, we've kind of grown again, and we've almost tripled our headcount and definitely tripled our workspace. And joined the promo industry, I believe, in 2010. That's my story. I love it. Thank you. And Michelle, can you give us an idea about yourself? This is going to be an emotional session. I am Michelle Chen with FASA Apparel. FASA is an apparel supplier in the promo industry. And we've been around in the promo space for about 13 years. The company was started by my mother, myself, and my father. And I can relate to Kathy. I am also a first-generation immigrant and coming here in the middle of grade school. I too went through ESL programs and quickly learned to realize in order to fit in to the mainstream society and to learn the language, ESL wasn't an option. So I attended ESL schools for a year and went to the regular school. I want to say my neighborhood, I mean, I grew up in a predominantly Asian heavy neighborhood. So the topic we're talking about today to really shine a light on the recent event even though personally I haven't experienced too much discrimination in my life. But I think as far as being an Asian woman, having family, both children and older parents, we're very concerned given the uptick in hate crimes to our minorities in general. Our lives will certainly change as far as like travel, places we go, people we meet. We have to be more aware and make some adjustment until we see some level of situation dissipating. I'm just honored to be invited to this panel to talk about my experience and how we can overcome this community to not only raise awareness, but hopefully reduce the bad stuff we see now. So thank you for having me. My pleasure. And last but definitely not least, the wonderful Kat. Can you introduce yourself and give us some of your history? Sure. My name is Kat DeFrancesco. I am the VP of sales at Snugs USA. And I was actually born and raised in New York City. My parents are from Thailand. My mother and my father is Thai Chinese. And they actually came to the United States in their early to mid-20s 
and had me. So I was born and raised in New York City my whole life in Queens, New York. I grew up in a very heavy immigrant neighborhood, mainly Greek and Italian. The Asian population was not very large at the time. So I grew up in a really diverse neighborhood, but yet really a deep minority in it. And some of the experiences I have is really a tension and a friction of growing up speaking Thai at home. And I actually learned English at school. I remember not knowing how to speak English in kindergarten or nursery school. And it's a very distinct memory that I have. So this topic is very timely and sort of a coming of age for all of us on this panel and what's going on in the world today. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. One of the things that have been encountering that's made into the dialogue right now is sort of all the stereotypes surrounding Asian people. The idea of the model minority or being a model Asian or being quiet and studious. Are these attitudes or things that you guys encounter regularly? Like what has been your experience with this? And I want to open it up to all of you to sort of cover things. It's Kathy here. I don't think I realized until dialogues have been had and we're having these dialogues. And I think I've gone through life just doing what I've been told and acting the way I'm supposed to. So I don't think I'm speaking as I usually do and as well prepared. It's just, it's been a lot of emotions. Mm -hmm. I'm still processing a lot of, I guess, buried emotions that we're now being told that it's okay to have. Yeah. In prepping for this podcast, all of you had these stories of just straight up racism or casual racism that you guys would encounter. Do you think that people just don't see what it is or that it's just so ingrained in people that they don't think of it the same way that racism towards a Black person would be seen? This is Michelle with Fossa here. And just your last question about the stereotypical image of good Asians, model citizens. I want to speak to that a little because there is such thing. You know, it's actually frowned upon in my culture to disclose family business or personal matters publicly. Keeping face is a concept that's so embedded in us from our parents, grandparents' generation. You know, you got to look good on the outside. If you don't have anything good to say, you just stay quiet. And if you don't have any good thing to share, just keep to yourself. And so I feel like that's not the American Asian mentality. But I think for the most part, a lot of Asians do share the mentality that, you know, in some situations, you don't want to be the first one to speak up. It's okay to be a bystander. And I think all these perimeters and expectations from society really makes it hard for us to come out and say, like, I don't fall into that category. Like I have something to say and maybe like I'm actually really bad at math. This is Cindy with Image Source. I think the model minority myth is a challenge because I personally was raised in a white upper middle class neighborhood in San Diego where we were the only Japanese family in the community. So I was raised surrounded by white people and I didn't know what the model minority myth was. I was just taught by my father that you have to be an American first because there's a possibility that if something happens, 
you could go into camp even though you're an American citizen and you can expect racism. So exactly like Michelle's comments of work hard, be smart, push your head down and be quiet is real. And the past year has stirred something within me that, you know, we're not white and we're not black, but we can code in either direction as white adjacent, but we still are targets of racism and violence and hatred, even though maybe we've had some advantage to be able to push it down and move forward and not talk about it because that's what our cultural heritage speaks to. But now it's gotten to the point where this event of the last week has stirred up a lot of self-reflection for all of us to start feeling a little bit more space to have these conversations and realize some of the trauma that we've experienced that we've sort of buried within ourselves just to keep moving forward. So I'm so happy that we're able to have these conversations, even though they're so hard. But it's really important that the community at large is standing up to see us and check in on us and help raise voices against this, because it takes all of us together to speak out against this. And I feel like we're playing catch up. It's really interesting that you say that you can code as white. And I think it should be said, like, we have four women here and like four voices from women here. And also, none of you have accents. You're either American born or you immigrated here, but you don't have all those code factors that can immediately in a digital world tag you as other. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Yeah. So in prepping for all of this, Kat, you had something that just was so powerful and painful to hear about how upsetting it was nowadays to be seen as the root cause of a disease. Yes. This came up because I was having a conversation with my mother, who is 73 years old who lives in Queens, New York, and Elmhurst, Queens, that is dominantly Asian. And I check in on her because her reality and my reality is very different. She is vulnerable. She is elderly. She has bad knees. Her community and her have a pact, and they look out for each other. My mother will not step out of her house by herself at all under any circumstance. Definitely not at night. And it's because they're vulnerable and they're vulnerable to attacks. Like she can't fight back. And they do this as a precaution. And I said, Mom, what's your thoughts on it? And she said, When people look at us, they think we're the cause. And so I really was like, Wow, (laughs) you know, like we're the root cause of a pandemic. You know, like that's really the anger. And what I was talking to Kathy about this on the phone actually last night. And I said, you know, this is such a symptom, bigger conversation here, a symptom of individuals, like personal issues that people have. 
And it's a very easy target to blame an entire group of people because it's just an easy target. And my mother, when she first came to this country, was right when Vietnam War, you know, my mother's from Thailand. So the Vietnam War is definitely much closer to her life experience and just war in general at that time for her. And she's like, you know, visually, we are triggers for people. And we are triggers for people's insecurities, triggers of people's fears, triggers of people's ignorance. And she said to me, the best thing you can do, if you can't obviously defend yourself, if someone's attacking you, she goes, but the best thing you can do is to erase that ignorance by talking to as many people as you can. And having dialogue like we're having here, reaching a deeper network, having this dialogue is critical for the peace of the land. And when I say peace of the land, I mean peace in society, unity, getting to hearing each other and getting past stereotypes and getting past your own personal fears. Because that's really what my mother was pointing out to me, that this is a reflection of people's internal life condition. And that's very, very profound and very Asian, right? If you think about it, that type of philosophy is a very Eastern way of thinking. So yeah, we don't choose aggression as our way to resolve. We choose connection. But what do we do when we're attacked physically? Last year, just before the lockdown, she was eight at this time. A schoolmate said to my daughter, who's fully Chinese, you're Chinese. You gave us all COVID. And she didn't come running home telling me about this. It was when I put her to bed every night. We just talk about the day. And it rolled off of her like, nah, it was normal. And so it was a really challenging conversation to have with her to not make a big deal out of it. Although inside I was burning. Quite honestly, it wasn't until last week that we started connecting that I allowed myself to even remember this happened to my daughter. We worked so hard to fight and combat racism for the better of our future and our future generations. And I feel like I failed as a mother to protect her. But the silver lining in all of this, as Kat reminded me, was she was confident. It didn't waver her. It didn't hurt her. She allowed it to roll off of her. That makes me very hopeful. But it is to have these conversations, these really hard, direct conversations, so we can share our stories. Sorry. No, it's emotional. Like it's it's hard not to, especially with everything that's happened in the past little bit, is that you want to think that the next generation is safe from what you went through. And there's just more and more evidence nowadays of that they're not. But the heartening thing is that a lot of people are saying that the reason people are speaking up so much is because of that younger generation is they're saying like, we're not putting up with this, like it's no longer head down, avoid conflict, that they're the ones. Does that give you guys a sense of hope? Is there something that people can be doing for cases like this? That gives me a sense of hope. 
this new generation that we're bringing up. I really hope that what we have experienced, or not even us, what our parents have experienced, what really hurts is just here we are, you know, thinking everything is okay. We live in the modern day now and discrimination, it's the thing of a past. And it takes so little to trigger so much. You know, it takes a few individuals wrongdoing to trigger the situation we are in now. It's just unbelievable. Kathy and I have been friends for a while here. And I mentioned earlier about how casual the racism can be of where it doesn't feel like it's always about how casual it can be in that people think they're being nice. I mean, Michelle, you had a comment where someone told you, you know, you're the finest Asian comparing you to people on your production floor. Mm -hmm. That's just awful thinking in the first place. But your reaction was, thank you? (laughs) (laughs) Because people automatically assume it's okay to put you in a certain category with others that look like you. And that is not okay. It's discriminatory. I don't know if we're going to address the conversations about the male part. I don't know if we're going to address that in this podcast. I don't want to segue from this conversation we're having because I feel like that's where I personally feel more vulnerable in those situations and may or may not have anything too much to do with racial, but just as a female. I would say this, Michelle, I mean, all of us, I think we feel it. It's one thing to be a woman in in this industry that is still predominantly male-dominated. We're seeing change, which is very hopeful. However, I think there's another layer when you are a woman of color in this industry. It doesn't mean it's more complex than anyone else. I think it's just speaking of the fact that it's a complex situation and there's complex emotions that we grapple with. So for example, just a few years ago, first time I ever attended PPAI Expo, I'm in the middle of a, I would like to think a business conversation in a social setting. And I'm speaking about my business and it was a professional conversation. And the individual I was speaking with, which happened to be a male, pretty much stopped and looked at me and said, do you know I have yellow fever? How am I supposed to react to that? This is a reseller or distributor at this point from a fairly large size company too. I want to share this story because I can tell you right now, I didn't even know how to respond to him. I didn't know if that was like a joke. And that's an example where there's two layers there. There was the gender that was inappropriate, because I think that means like you're paying me a compliment, I think, right? (laughs) (laughs) Then why is it yellow fever, right? (laughs) It's because I'm Asian? Like, I don't know. And I remember specifically this moment, and I was just so stunned, shocked. I did not even know how to react, and I just brushed it off. And that's something that I was saying to Cindy earlier that I'm really ashamed of myself right now. You know, I've started to find my voice the last few years, and I've been using it. But when it comes to now using my voice for our own community, I'm processing so much emotions, I don't even know how to use it. 
I think it's just the sheer fact that we're having this conversation and then sharing our pains and, you know, our experiences together. That's the wonderful step one for people to see that these pains are real. You know, it's not being a person of color. And now I feel bad for Cindy and Kathy because you're not Chinese, but you probably, you know, when people look at you, they just see you as what they want to see you. And you're being a, I don't want to say bad reputation, but you are kind of suffering from this ignorance and this misconception of you're the cause of the virus. People can't figure out the true difference between everything. Right. The promotional products industry has a weird and complicated relationship with Asian countries, like especially with China, because it depends so much on production and product in China, while our sales force here remains largely white. And also like the stereotype of made in China being a bad thing. Do you encounter this in our industry? What are your interactions out on the show floor or in front of customers? What do you hear or experience? You've really brought up a good point. We actually have this internal conversation as well. Last year, we had a price increase on product and that's due to our strategy to change to start offering free ground shipping. But a part of it, it's also to cover the cost of tariff. And in early days, we would announce the tariff increase. And we're not the only suppliers. Many suppliers are having to increase costs because of tariff who are importing from China. And eventually that has transitioned to, we don't want to tell people it's because of the tariff, because we are importing from China, because that doesn't reflect well, but we haven't done anything different. I think it's just some policy changes and people are seeing things a little differently now where they're putting labels on, you know, if we have a choice, we don't want to, but I mean, whereas we're a supplier, we are an American business and we're legit importers that I feel like put us in a difficult position because these policies, we have no power of changing and we can't change supply chains. These are factories that we've been partnering with for years and years. So I feel hopeless in that situation because what do we tell people then? We have a price adjustment. Let's not call it tariff and just sweep it under the rug. In 13 years of business, we never really have to deal with sensitive situation like this that's maybe political and other factors. So it's all new, very new to me, but uh, it's not a good situation to say the least. Yes. A white owned company, it wouldn't be the same thing as like an Asian owned company. That's your fault. And again, using those air quotes on that. Right. And people don't understand. And that's not to say everyone, but sometimes people will ask, well, why can't you just change your supply chain? Why can't you start sourcing from somewhere else? But so much of that, you know, importer establishing long-term relationship with our manufacturer, there's chemistry, there's trust, there's reliance, dependency, all that, just like when we build relationship with our customers. So it's not very easy. And really, if we end up doing that, we're just being penalized for no good reason. We're all victims of policy change. And it becomes so charged too. Personally, I represent water bottle brand that is made in Switzerland, but they also have Chinese made bottles too. And I get a lot of people going, well, I don't want a made in China bottle. It has to be made in the US. And I was like, okay, well, that was 50 years ago that you needed to start investing in 
companies that did that because all the technology and skill is in China. The best technology and skills in China at this point. And you're not paying attention. <laughs> that idea of like, do you want a made in North America product because you want to support a local economy or because you don't want to support a Chinese economy? That's a very legit question. I think people need to look at we are, even though I'm first generation Chinese, we're in America, we run a legit clean business here in America. We pay taxes just like everybody else. I feel very sad if people see us as anything but everything I described. I mean, we're no different from everybody else just because we're Chinese owners. It really doesn't mean anything else. You know, it shouldn't be a reason for people to say, I don't want to source from FASA because they're Chinese, they've sourced from China. May I share a similar story, but the country of origin is of North America, which is, I mean, the irony of all this is, you know, the name Redwood Classics, it represents the iconic strong redwood trees. Redwood Classics, the name represents the longevity of our high quality garments, our longevity in our family textile industry. We've been making on Canadian soil for 32 years now. But the truth is there's this part of a name that I never talked about, which is that it doesn't sound Chinese. I wanted to hide our Asian roots. When we restructured in 2009, it's at the height of fast fashion. So showing your Asian roots risks that we were in the association of cheap labor and cheap products. And so I hid them. I never shared the real origin of the name or one of the real origins of the name until actually last May, because the curtains of social injustice and racism get really bubbled over and it really empowered me to use my voice. And so, you know, it goes both ways. I think the point of this is we should just be ourselves, regardless of the color of our skin, our gender, our creed, our religion. I always hear people say, oh, the promo industry, it's all about relationships. It's about people. Then why can't we just look at each other that way and humanize the business and see each other as being human beings, regardless of the color of your skin or your gender or your sexual preference or your religion or your creed? Agreed. Kat, you commented earlier about how the things that you do to erase ignorism. In wanting to end this on a very hopeful or positive note, for each of you, I'd love to hear what is something that you're doing to be vocal for the next generation, as well as what are things that people around you can do to help to push us forward in a mindset? Sure, I'd, I'd love to tell you my story of what I do every day in private. So there's actually an international organization called the Soka Gakkai International. It's actually headquartered in Japan. It's originally a Japanese organization, not-for-profit, and it's about a 90-year-old organization. Its entire intention is to connect people through dialogue, through culture, and practicing altruism. It is all over the world. In every country, it's over 100 million members. 
And they focus heavily on the youth, too. And they have community centers all over reaching out to focus on the human values, regardless of whether you're Hispanic, American, Canadian, Asian, whatever your background is. In fact, they embrace it and explore it and celebrate it and then go back to working on those fundamentals that make us humans and essentially raising our highest, the best parts of a human being and really just exploding those pieces. And that's how you basically just work with one person at a time. This organization has led me to fostering immigrant youth of today, which is a little different than a traditional foster. And I've been doing this for 12 years, and it's changed dynamics. We address and talk about this exact same topic multiple times. We bring in youth and have them do discussions. I have actually brought this same philosophy and approach in my workplace here and just open up that conversation. I think dialogue is essential. Dialogue with our families, dialogue with our children, and to give them a platform to talk and for us to be able to have those conversations. Because really, that's how I do it. I don't think you can legislate peace 100% or understanding or to erase ignorance. It really starts with the individual. That's amazing. Would anyone else like to sort of say what their next steps are or what people can do? This is Cindy. I think that amplifying the messages and posts and stories on social media is something really simple to do, but I have struggled with stepping into that arena and having LinkedIn being a professional space, wondering if it's appropriate or not for me to share things or on Facebook. And I've started to do that now, which, you know, doesn't seem like it should be a hard thing, but it's been a challenge for me, but I made the commitment to try to do that. And supporting Asian-owned small businesses and restaurants in my community, I think is a really simple thing to do that makes a difference. And just participating more in our industry, you know, PPAI has a volunteer group now that's dedicated to DE&I. And I've also been involved in my own organization at Image Source and trying to amplify the DE&I just campaign of where we want to be and what we want to say and how we want to proceed in the space. But there are really simple things that you could do. There's GoFundMe for AAPI, the community right now. So if you just want to donate money, if you want to volunteer in your community, if you want to post on Facebook or just share something, I think that those little things that you can do make a huge difference. There's starting to be a lot more rallies in the community too to support. And so there are so many opportunities to raise your voice and speak out and use your dollars to support wherever you feel comfortable. I think that there are a lot of options out there. Absolutely. Cindy, it's Kathy here. I'm, I'm just going to think another one to add on to, you know, speaking up and having the dialogue is also speaking out and help others take up space if they don't have the capacity to do so. Let it be 
because of culture, let it be because of language barriers, whatever it may be. I think that's so important to lend your voice to others as well and to self-reflect, to lean in, to listen, to learn, ask. I mean, I'm asking myself, am I guilty of microaggression? Am I displaying prejudice? Then I'd also encourage cross-marginalized solidarity. I mean, we're seeing that with hashtag black and gold. Let's not allow this racism create more division, even amongst marginalized groups ourselves. And recognize that DNI is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And to prepare for a marathon, we have to build endurance. And that requires preparation and planning and training. Given all that's happened in 2020 and 21, I mean, we've gone from pandemic to protest because the curtains have been pulled back on many of these institutions and industries. And it's revealing a lot of injustices that perhaps those in power were not cognizant of. So I would encourage those that are listening, and if you're a leader within your organization, lean in and listen and hear and create safe spaces for, I hope, what would be productive conversations, but challenging ones to have. This is Michelle. I came across the quote that I thought would be so appropriate to share right now. It goes, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes from more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. So, you know, I believe we're all here because we believe in what we're fighting. It's worthy. It's right. And we're here to spread the message and hopefully, you know, just start this race awareness, this movement, and that we're helping people out there. I love that. Thank you, all of you, for sharing your experiences and your voices and making this happen. I do want to say one of the amazing things that came out of our early conversations around this was how much you all look to each other to be leaders on what you're doing. And, you know, you're talking about watching Kathy and seeing what she's doing and watching Michelle and seeing what she's doing. And you are hearing from people who are watching you and I watch you and you're inspiring someone out there to do better and be better. And thank you for being part of this with us and continue to do your hard but very good work. I have to say props to Promo Kitchen under the fierce leadership, Kate, you and Johanna and your amazing sous chefs. It takes courage for PK to put this type of content out there as well. So kudos to PK and just the community and embracing this because this is change and you know, we have to embrace it. We're going to change the game together. We'll get there. Well, thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. 
You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.